Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre, and what a great episode we have today. I'm very happy to talk with Vera Demery. She's the head of digitalization research at the German Economic Institute, and Vera was one of the speakers at the ELF panel discussion, Is the EU Ready for Data Economy? We invited Vera to come to the podcast to talk a little more about this, particularly not only data economy, but also data spaces, cybersecurity, regulation, and economics associated with this kind of data treatment. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of April. I'm here with Vera Demery. Vera, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And this is after I saw you on the panel discussion with Elf. Is the EU ready for the data economy? It was very interesting. And I'm going to put the link on the podcast show notes so that people can listen to that conversation. But we'll try to get a little bit into that main topic. But before, tell us a little about yourself. What was the path that you took to get to this point that we're talking now? By training, I'm an economist. So um, after university, I started working at the German Insti Economic Institute, where I'm now still. I'm a microeconomist, meaning I deal with markets and companies rather than the economy as a whole. So I started off doing topics like innovation, skilled labor, education topics. And since 2015, I've been head of the research unit digitalization structural change in competition at the German Economic Institute. So what we're doing there is we're looking at how changing markets affect companies and how these markets need to be designed for companies to be able to work well within them and to uh, stay competitive. Let me ask you um, maybe an, a little bit of a nerdy question, but changing markets affecting companies, for a layperson like myself, can we also think about it on the other way around? And that is, Will companies can change markets regarding data, data analysis? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's both ways, actually. That's a very good point. Um, on the one hand, the markets themselves change, but also companies drive this change, of course. And in the digital sphere, we are talking a lot about the American platforms that have changed many markets that they have mm -hmm. become active in and that they have been role models for how data can be used to implement new products, new services, new business models. But what we need to do now, especially in the European Union, is to... Um, we need to get companies um, that are from more traditional sectors, industry, for example, to harvest the potential of data as well. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not going to be a topic for our conversation today, but I've been reading about it, particularly what is called the capitalism uh, surveillance and digital platforms and how that go gets all the information from the users and then drive markets. That was the reason for my question. And maybe I can have you on a future podcast if you want to go a little bit into that. But let's focus on the reason why I have you here today, and that is to better understand data economy and data spaces. So let's start with the ground rule definition. Please help our listeners get into this conversation by the entry point, which is how would you describe these two topics? Yeah, we're talking about the data economy today, um, meaning that data is everywhere these days and data is constantly mm -hmm. produced, digital data. It's uh, saved in a digital format. It can be used, it can be analyzed. 
is created all the time. So it's become a resource and this resource can be um, harvested, as I said earlier. So the data economy means that companies are able to collect, to analyze, to use data to improve their processes. So this is a more of an internal view, but mm -hmm. also to um, improve their products, services, develop new ones, or even change their business models. So this is why we're talking about this so much because there's a huge potential there, but it's also sort of a challenge because this comes with investment, this comes with, with decisions and how to implement this and which way to take, which path to take, because there's so many possibilities. And this is really hard, especially for SMEs. Too many possibilities in, in your expert opinion. What are the ones that make more sense on this changing world that changes so, so fast? Are, are, are Some SMEs could be like losing the train because things are going too fast, or are those options available and you just have to make the right choice? Well, the, the public narrative is that we always need to talk about data-driven business models. And of course, this is one way to go, but this is sort of the, the premium class of, of possibilities that we have. The first important step is that companies need to collect data digitally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies don't do that. We did a survey on mm -hmm. German companies from industry and industry-related services, and only about 28% of those were actually ready to participate in a data economy, meaning they store data digitally, they have first processes digitalized, and they, they are able to, to gain from this. But it's only 28%, meaning that 72% still have a lot of potential to, to uh, work here. That is interesting. They're Still collecting analog information? Is that right. what it is? Yeah. Or, okay. <laughs> yeah, I find, I find it's rather scary. Not all of them collect everything in an analog way. Parts are digital, but you need, in order to, if you think about the internal processes in a, say, in a factory and you want to digitalize, you want to harvest data to make your process uh, run more smoothly, you need data from de several different collectors and you need them all synchronized. You need them in the same database. You need to have programs that run them. And oftentimes, even though data is collected digitally, it's in several pools and it, they are not connected. So there's a lot of work to be done within every single uh, company until the, the full potential can be reached. But let me stay a little more in that because I'm really curious about what you said. And that is, again, it's because th the solutions are there and people are not seeing them or the, the system is not yet ready for this, where you can tell me, well, 90% of the companies are actually collecting data digitally and they're putting that data to work. Is it because people don't know yet they can do it or is it because it's too expensive, it's too complicated? Well, we asked in, in, in the same survey that I mentioned, we asked them also what are what are the obstacles mm. to uh, participating in the data economy. And a large part was legal obstacles. So they're not sure oh. about whether uh, others can access their data or what the um, data privacy regulations mm. are, or there might be gray areas there. But also, and this I find even more um surprising is that a large number of companies simply don't know why they should do this. They don't really see the potential that I've mm. been talking about here today so much. And I think this is why it's, it's very vital that the European Union as well drives this further and makes it obvious why there's a lot of potential there. And obvious, obviously, it's not the same for every company. So I'm, I'm not 
my goal is not that every company digitalizes everything, but you just need to check where it's useful and how you can improve and stay competitive by, yes. um, by investing. Uh, yes, and uh, we will be talking about the um, proposed regulation of European data governance in a minute, but let's stay with more technical aspects for a couple more minutes, because I was very, very interested in your description of data spaces and data integration system. I have a question here for you, but maybe you want to start. How can we understand data spaces and data integration systems? Data spaces are a vital part of the data economy, because if you really want to um, use the potential of data, you might need data that you don't have in-house as a company, but you need data from other sources. And you need to get these data into your own um, systems, into, um, into them and mix them up with your uh, data that you collect in-house. Um, and data spaces are a way to facilitate this, meaning we're talking about, when we talk about data spaces, we talk about data sharing, mm -hmm. receiving data from others or giving your data to others in order to gain, uh, to gain from this um, data. This is easy, this data exchange or data sharing. If it's bilateral, you can just set up a contract and you can exchange data. You need to just need to make sure you know which format of data you're talking about, which type of transfer you're talking about. But it becomes more complicated when it's unilateral data sharing. So you have several partners, you yourself give your data to even more companies or other um, institutions. So for large scale data integration, we need a data spaces. The idea is to, that everyone can keep control of their own data. So everyone can make sure that the data they're providing uh, is only used for the purposes that they allow uh, for them to be used. And obviously we're talking about non-personal data here. I should add this just to make sure um, it's mostly non-personal data. So machine generated data that um, that is sort of being collected and traded via these data spaces. That's the idea, but it's still in, in development, so to speak. That is a perfect segue because the in development part was the one that I wanted to ask you. And that is when we, again, lay people sometimes uh, hear some stories, like for example, in Wall Street, they have generation techniques of data. It's, they're running in the background trading, selling, buying, and all this thing goes automatically. And then we hear terror stories that this thing can go wrong and that thing can go wrong, or they're, they're tricking, like, for example, customers, they're, they're, they're taking their money without their, their knowing. So my question to you then, when we think about a system like this, for, for an expert like you, are you comfortable in thinking about data spaces or is this something that even for you guys can get a little bit scary. Well, I think it, it. I think of it not so much as scary, but more of like technical. As I said, I'm an economist, so the technical side mm. of things is is pretty foreign to me. But I think it can be solved. These these privacy issues, these data sovereignty issues, they can be solved technically. But and this is the prerequisite for all of this to work. There needs to be trust in these systems. Mm -hmm. So someone. It develops a solution and there are solutions already to uh, protect privacy. There are solutions 
to uh, protect data sovereignty. So, but what needs to be done is that uh, trust in these solutions needs to be generated and actually companies need to use them. And this is the point where we're at now, where we, there are a few data pools, data spaces. There are more to be developed also under the uh, Common European Data Spaces Program by the European Commission. The most important part is that someone uses them because if there's mm. no data on these spaces, if no one wants to use them and everyone just looks at them and thinks, well, we have this, why does it not work? It only works if there's users. So, so this is the next big step. And that's basically the, the hardest challenge, I would say, is to gain participants for this and not so much to structure it in a way that it's safe. We do see the, the tendency of having transparency on, on systems, like, for example, the Digital Markets Act came in a way that it was like, all right, this is not going to be a black box. We actually are going to know how this thing works. And uh, maybe that will then take us to the second question that I had to you, which is the European Commission proposed the regulation of the European data governance, a part of the larger data strategy. Please tell us about that act. Well, the, the Data Governance Act facilitates or is supposed to facilitate data sharing by and the, the processes and the structures for data sharing. So this is in a way, it's, it's a good way forward because we need a, a secure legal framework to gain the trust that I talked about. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it also contains um, aspects of improving the use of public sector data because it's obviously, it's not only companies that generate and uh, collect data, but it's also public sector institutions that have lots of data. Um, it's supposed to foster um, data sharing via intermediaries, and it, it deals a lot with interoperability and standardization issues, which are a prerequisite for data spaces to work um, fluently. However, I think this is a first step, right? So mm -hmm. we need to closely look at how this is actually working once it's implemented, because mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of the the act is still hold certain uncertainties, uh, like, for example, the intermediaries that I talked about. These are institutions that are sort of trading data, receiving data from someone and giving it to someone else, being a sort of a platform in the middle idea. However, it's not clear if this also covers bilateral exchanges of data, if someone suddenly becomes an intermediary in the, mm. in the sense of the Data Governance Act. And that means, of course, more obligations for this actor. And this could be a company that's already doing this and doesn't have the obligation. So it might increase bureaucracy. And we don't want that. We want whatever's already working to continue working. And we want to incentivize more companies and public sector institutions to get active. So I think this is a very, very important um, part um, of going forward with a data economy. I think the European Union does its best to be at the forefront of progressive le legislation in this area, but we still have to closely monitor this. Absolutely. And then how do you anticipate, after we know that the machine is working and the machine is working fine and people are trusting the, the, the solution, the technical solution and the regulations, how then, then this relates not only to inside the European Union, different member states, but I'm thinking about other markets, particularly the American market, which is so powerful, as we know, because there's been some precedent of the Americans going like, you Europeans and your regulations, and we have to change everything because of you guys. Now, that happened, for example, with data protection 
again, I understand what you said, and that is one step at a time. But still, I would like to have your idea on that. Well, for me, the, the GDPR, the, the data protection regulation that you refer to, is a, is a good example how the European Union is trying to be at the forefront of legislation in this area. Because that's a general problem we have with all legislation concerning the digital sphere is that we're always very late legis um, regu uh, regulating things. We're looking at stuff and all of a sudden there's these billion dollar American companies that have grown so large and we're trying to figure out how to deal with this and if it's okay or if it's not. So I think it's a good way to try to... Um, to be earlier, to try to be active mm. in, instead of just reactive. So the GDPR worked well in that respect. It's not without problems, um, especially for, for small and medium-sized companies that have to adhere to a lot of um, uh, red tape. But um, at the same time, it's sort of a blueprint. It has become a blueprint for other areas um, worldwide that model their own legislation on this. And I think that's a, a, a good enough reason to be early again and to try to set rules that um, enable legal certainty. And mm -hmm. legal certainty is important for, for trust to develop in all these possibilities. Um, and of course, we're always hearing that we need innovation. And for this, we need regulatory sandboxes and we need freedom to just try things out. And I think we need both. I think it's a sort of a, um, you need to, sort of need to weigh the two things but but generally speaking I'm, I wouldn't be scared of, of other uh, areas worldwide to complain about our regulation our market mm -hmm. is a large market it's important for them and we want um, the European values our ethics we want we want this to be safely insured by legislation and that's what we're doing this is it looks like we already talked about the podcast before we start recording because Vera keeps sending me these softballs so that I can bat them out of the out of the yard because exactly and the my next question was to have this grounded on European values a lot of things written about what is called the Brussels effect and how the European Union is trying to say all right you for you guys to be in our market even if it is data spaces you need to fulfill this, 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 and this requirement. So what is your uh, opinion on that? Is this a, a good starting point that we should set as this is an important criteria or is this just running in parallel? What is then the need to have this grounded on European values? Well, I think that digital regulation is sort of, you find three different approaches to this. You have the European approach and we're very much centered on consumer interests, on uh, competitiveness. Um, and then you have the, the American view on this where there's more of a sort of a liberal, more freedom-based approach, more laissez-faire. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Chinese approach and the Chinese mm -hmm. are regulating like hell at the moment. And they're, they're setting very, very strict rules for their own market that of course do uh, do not cover the same values. So I think it's it, I think it's important that we're doing this, and I can give you an example of why this is also working. We I've, I don't know if you've heard of the Gaia X initiative. This is a platform ecosystem. Basically, it sets standards for data exchange. It's not a hyperscaler like AWS, for example, or Microsoft Azure. 
or something like this. It's not a cloud infrastructure, but it is a set of rules for cloud infrastructures. And mm -hmm. it, so, so this is our way going forward, realizing we don't have a hyperscaler cloud infrastructure provider in Europe, um, maybe yet or maybe never. But originally this was a European project. It was very much uh, pushed by Germany and France. And mm -hmm. a lot of European companies got active in this and said, okay, we have smaller clouds in Germany or in France or elsewhere in Europe. We want them to be interoperable. We want um, European values, um, once again, our, our ethics understanding implemented here. So we're working towards this. And again, this is just a project that's in the works. It's not been fully implemented, but international companies, companies from the United States, like Google, for example, they have gotten active in this as well. They have become a member of the association because they realize that to be successful, to be operative in Europe, they need to adhere to these rules because that's what's important to us. And so I think it's, it's great that we're, we're working towards this because it shows that others are willing to compromise. And that means it's a, it's a safer space for the European companies. So, so I, think it, I think it's great that we're working like this. <laughs> I'm with you, uh, particularly when we're talking about a more hostile uh, partner, which is like, as you mentioned, China, because the Americans, is, as you said, there's a liberal uh, point of view since the Clinton administration, which is, well, we'll let the tech companies do whatever they want to, and, and it's fine. And But then eventually because of money and because of shareholders, you'll be like, well, we have to adapt to the European market and European values. That's fine. We're pretty much the same. But the Chinese, no. The Chinese will be, well, <laughs> if it, do you think that if they have to drop it, getting into the European market because of data spaces and data integration here, do you think they will do it? I know this is pure speculation, but... I do think that it's going to be a bit of clash of cultures because a lot of the Chinese regulation also applies outside of China mm -hmm. if you're in business relation with China. Yeah. So for us, the European regulation applies to companies being active in Europe. So at, there could be a point where a company needs to be or needs to comply with both. And that might not be possible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how companies actually solve this dilemma and whether it's been, um, it's actually occurred. Um, I think this is something we need to keep in mind and we need to have a closer look at in the future because the Chinese market has become very, very locked away, very strict. Um, and we've been, um, we've been looking at this for, for a bit as well. And it, it's really a hard decision for companies wanting to go into China, whether to do it or not, because of these data regulations. Now, this is a question that I will always love to ask to experts like yourself, and, and that is, what's coming up next? Because for, for lay people like me and for most of our listeners, I'm quite sure this looks like completely overwhelming. It's, it's, it's really cool to get to know like peripherally, oh, yeah, machines working and and they're working with data and they're inserting data and they're uh, sharing data. This is all really cool. But then there's the, the Terminator effect, which is we always carry that the machines will turn against us. So please, um, can you tell us what are some of the main concerns that people in the field like you may um, experience and, and think about it? Things that takes your sleep away. 
there is a lot. I think for at the level of the of, of one company, I think that um, there there needs to be a greater concern with generally cybersecurity issues, mm. even when talking about the the data economy issues. This is, of course, most companies are sort of aware. But you've heard um, you've heard the the news yet now along with the Ukraine war how cyber threats and cyber attacks spread easily across borders, and of course this also affects the data economy because if a company is compromised, this might carry into other areas as well. So I think this is something that um, I think a lot of companies do not understand the possibility of the scale of it. So for me, this is something that I worry about. I do not worry so much about um, the data protection within an, an, a regular setup in, in data spaces. And I, I do think that we need to get the regulation off the ground quickly for mm-hmm. to, to test whether it's working the right way. But this is a general concern that, that I have with all EU regulation. If there's good ideas out there, but it takes some time until it's all implemented and it's it's working smoothly and companies can actually comply with it. And I think my as I said, my greatest concern would be the cybersecurity issues that always surround um, mm. the topic of data. So Vera, can 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 we think about this? as a layered problem and that is okay first legislation let's have everyone know the the rules of the game let's have the machine working and see if everything is fine everyone is complying and and the thing is working and it's protecting values and we're getting some added benefit of it but then did i understand correctly that then your other concern will be all right we make to make this secure we need to make this safe and we cannot have entry points to a larger you know, environment of data sharing and and data spaces, because if you do have one entry point, then you can access the whole thing. As I, as I said, the technical parts are are beyond me, but I would think <laughs> Sorry, that there are keep... some sort of no, that there are some sort of um, um, mechanisms that t- trying to prevent this. But obviously, if if companies are active in a in a network, they are connected somehow via data spaces, for example, this is obviously also a possible entry point for threats. Mm. That's, that's right. I'm, I'm not so much scared that, that there will be a cyber attack that will bring the whole thing down. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think what's more likely is that companies realize there's cyber threats, there's all the investment that they need to do to uh, use data for their, uh, for their benefit. And this is all too much. So we're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to take part. And that means that the whole thing doesn't get off the ground. Because as I said, you need participants. This is a sort of a platform idea. It only works if you have a lot of users. The attractiveness of the whole idea gains if there are more users. And if companies decide to hold back mm-hmm. for these reasons, the whole thing is sort of dead on the ground. And I, I don't think... That that'd be wise because um, this is this is where the future is. So, in an economic lenses, so that I'm not always pushing you to technical aspects. On an economic lenses, it's either the, the 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 system is incomplete because you have a lot of companies saying we don't want to participate; it's too complicated, it's too dangerous, and that affects the economy. But also, we have another problem, which is to not have the trust again on the system from from the users and the user may be thinking oh crap if those guys can access 
through a cybersecurity. They can access my data from cybersecurity and therefore I'm not going to be part of the problem. So that, that's where you stand there economically wise. Right. Right. And I, I think that this all ties in together with competitiveness because this is not mm. just something for, for each and every company. They need to continuously reinvent themselves and they need to look at their product, their services and need to look at whether this is still competitive or not or what they can do to improve it. And others are going to do it. If you don't, you're, you're going to be out of the market quickly. If, if your competitor has a similar solution and they are able because of data exchanges to, to provide a better service, for example, um, then the customer is going to make the choice for you. So I think, and I, I, this is not to be neglected because this is a development that once it starts, it's hard to hold back, you know? So I think th this needs to be at every, on everyone's minds in, in companies. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bash companies because a lot of them are already working hard on this, mm -hmm. but there are, there are, a lot that, that are seeing more of the challenges as well and that need help and support. And I think that's the point mostly, not that companies are too stupid to understand this, but that they need support, they need examples, they need best practice examples to see what can be done and how and how expensive this was <laughs> or how easy maybe. So, um, so that's what we need to do. We need to get the data spaces running. We need, uh, Good examples, easy examples for companies to look at and to become incentivized to uh, become more active themselves. Fantastic. And as we get to the end of our time together, I imagine the German Economic Institute will be one of those organizations and your uh, department with the digital, digitalization research. So please tell our listeners where they can find your work and the work done at the German Economic Institute. Yeah, you can find it as at uh, the wonderful German address, <laughs> iwkoeln.de. That's ewkoeln.de. So that's on our website, but you can also just um, Google us or Google me and find our publications, a lot of them in English as well, some in German, because we're at the German Economic Institute. You can also find me on Twitter and uh, look there. So I'd be very happy to, uh, to hear from people who are interested in our work. I'm going to put all these links on the podcast show notes in German and in English. I've been talking with Vera Demery at the German Economic Institute. Vera, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you so much for having me, Ricardo. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this first part of April. On the 13th of April, we have the public conference, The Future of Depth, Money, and Banking. And this is going to be a roundtable and public conference where ELF will analyze the future of debt, money, banking in the euro area. This first part is from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Eastern Time on the 13th of April. Discussion will focus on inflation risks at the euro area and current ECB policies. This is ELF Secretariat and NIA's lab organization. To know more about this event, just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place.
podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and has the support of the Social Liberal Movement in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Thank you.